This is a recording from the More Than the Score lecture series at the University of Virginia, made possible by the Office of Engagement's Alumni Education Program. On September 4, 2010, attendees of the very first More Than the Score lecture series of the year were treated to a history of the early days of the UVA football team. Our panelists are introduced by Tom Falders, president of the UVA Alumni Association. It's my great pleasure to introduce our two speakers today. Uh, first, on my, on, your, on, on my left, your right, is Kevin Eds. Kevin is a University of Virginia alum. Uh, he graduated from the college in 1995, and Kevin, you don't realize it, but you've been out for 15 years. Um, in that 15 years, Kevin's been a writer, an executive producer, a creative director at various networks within the Discovery Channel family. Um, he's also a writer and a director for an upcoming documentary, which he's going to talk about today, Wahoo Wah, the history of Virginia football, or Cavalier football, excuse me, and it's set to be released in November. Uh, coincident, by the way, with the Virginia Film Festival. Um, if you want to know a little bit more about the film, you can go to www.uvafootballhistory.com. Com. Or if you're real good, you can leave the www off. Uh, joining, joining Kevin today is Coy Barefoot. Uh, he's the one with the interesting last name. Uh, Coy, as many of you know, is a Wall Street Journal and Amazon.com best-selling author. Uh, his books include Thomas Jefferson on Leadership, as well as The Corner, A History of the Student Life at the University of Virginia, uh, which he will, because Larry Sabato doesn't have any books today, we decide we bring Coy uh, in. And Coy will have some books back in the Virginia room to sign after the, um, after the talk. Uh, by the way, The Corner won the 2003 Nolly Prize for Outstanding History. He has written and reported in magazines, newspapers around the country, as well as a long list of online publications. He teaches local history, um, the history of the University of Virginia and Charlottesville in the School of Continuing and Professional Education, uh, he's worked as a radio producer, worked in radio as a producer, investigative reporter, reporter, and a talk show host. Uh, as many of you know, he is the um, he is the uh, public he does public affairs radio uh, program on WINA uh, 1070 called Charlottesville right now. I'm trying to trying to imitate his son. <laughs> does a great job um, each weekday from four to six. So make sure you tune into that. He speaks frequently to parents and alumni, and he's very generous with the time. So uh, let me uh, ask you all to welcome both Coy Barefoot and Kevin Eds. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. So I'm going to get us started. And um, I have to start by just telling you this. Uh, a few years ago, I got this email from this guy I'd never heard of. It said, I'm thinking about doing a movie about UVA football. Can I talk to you? I said, you want to do a what about what? <laughs> he said, I'm going to do a documentary about UVA football. And, uh, and I'd like to talk to you, and you can be one of the talking heads in the film, and I want to pick your brain a little bit. And I'm like, why do you want to do a film about UVA football? Uh, and then he starts telling me, well, did you know this? And well, I found out this. And so that began uh, my great friendship with Kevin and, um, and what he has created. I've seen some snippets of it, and he's going to share with us today some clips of this, and this is the first time you'll, you're, you're the first folks that will actually have an opportunity to see some of this movie. And he has really created something very special. Today is also special because we are celebrating a centennial today. Today is the 100th anniversary of something very special, which we will tell you about uh, during the talk today. And uh, not many people are even aware of this. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start us off with a very quick sort of introduction to uh, athletics at the University of Virginia, just to sort of get us up to speed, and I'll take us up to football, and then we'll bring Kevin in, and we'll talk about the film, and we'll talk about some of the things that he has uncovered, including the fact that uh, he literally found something during his research. He found something in a box in Richmond that we want to tell you about that is also just, uh, I was, when he emailed me and said, I found it. Uh, the Holy Grail of Virginia Athletics. <laughs> it has been found. So we're going to tell you about that too. Um, let's start with the very idea of athletics at the University of Virginia. And to do that, we go back to um, some writings of Jefferson where you see him sort of talking about health and activity and fitness. And he writes to his nephew and he says, I want you to encourage all your virtuous dispositions and exercise them whenever an opportunity arises being assured that they will gain strength by exercise as a limb of the body does. Uh, and then he says, uh, give about two of them hours every day to exercise, for health must not be sacrificed to learning. A strong body makes the mind strong. As to the species of exercise, I advise the gun. <laughs> Which he meant hiking, of course. Take your gun and go hiking. Go for long walks. While this gives a moderate exercise to the body, it gives boldness, enterprise, and independence to the mind. Games played with the ball and others of that nature are too violent for the body and stamp no character on the mind. <laughs> let's, let's just keep that between us. We don't want to be sharing that out with the crowds today. Let your gun, therefore, be the constant companion of your walks. So that's where Jefferson was coming from uh, when he thought of athletics. Now, the very first mention of sports and athletics at the University of Virginia comes not from Thomas Jefferson, but it comes from architect William Thornton, whom Jefferson had written in the 18-teens, hey, we're setting up a school, we're going to build a school down here in Charlottesville, I'm so excited about it. Do you have any ideas for design? And Jefferson said, this is sort of what I have in mind. And so William Thornton writes back this very long letter, way more than Jefferson asked for, um, basically telling him how to do his school. And this is the curriculum you want, and this is all, you know, you could just imagine Jefferson reading this up at Monticello thinking, oh, God, I didn't ask you all this. But anyway, what's important is in this letter is the very first mention of sports at UVA. And William Thornton says, there ought to be extra grounds for the great exercises, such as running, riding, archery, shooting with pistols, rifles, cannons, the military exercises on horseback and foot. In the Roman Catholic Academy at Georgetown, they've erected a ball alley but I would allow no child's play. Let all the exercises be such as would tend to make great and useful men. Very first mention of sports at UVA. So when Jefferson builds the University of Virginia, the very first design we see of the rotunda here from the spring of 1819, you'll notice that it's just sitting out in the grass at the end of the lawn. Well, what happens is he gets sick, and he's up at Monticello, and he's almost bedridden, and he's really giving some thought to this idea of athletics at UVA. And this is what happens as a result. You'll notice that all of a sudden, he got this idea in 1823. The design comes out in 1824, a year before the school opens. All of a sudden, he's got this idea to connect the rotunda out to the pavilions and close off the north end of the lawn. That idea is 1823. We first see it in the drawing in 1824. Well, where did that come from? It came from a covered arcade, 80 foot by 30 foot, 
that would be in front of the rotunda at the ground level and connect pavilion one with pavilion two and create a wall at the end of the lawn, this sort of arched, open, covered walkway. This was the very first gymnasium at the University of Virginia. Jefferson designed it, and it was connected to the rotunda. Athletics, sports, fitness was designed into the academical village. He wrote that the two open-air apartments adjacent to the same story of the rotunda shall be appointed to the gymnastic exercises and the games of the students. A military instructor will be provided. That was the idea of the first sports. It was what we would think of today as ROTC. Get a uniform, get a gun, march. It's good for morale. It's good for exercise. It gets you out there. So the very first gymnasium is that covered archway that is right in front of the rotunda, that when they rebuilt the rotunda after the fire, they carried that theme all the way around. Stanford White did. So here's the drawing, famous drawing here from 1856. And you'll notice at the foot of the lawn, there's this the second gymnasium at the University of Virginia, and it's an open-air athletic field with, uh, gosh, everything you could think of, place archery and um, places to fire your gun, and um, this area was called the triangle by the students. Here's the famous Pratt map from 1858, which shows the drawing of the grounds. You'll notice that something happened at the end of the lawn uh, in the 1840s, um, and what happened is they took that open-air, I'm sorry, they took the um, the place that was attached to the rotunda in the early 1840s that was created for the students for athletics, and they closed that in and created two rooms because they were desperate for space, and they created a chapel and a reading room. So that's where we got the open-air gymnasium. They, the kids needed a, a place to exercise, so they went down to what was called the triangle at the foot of the lawn. Then in the 1850s, they built this. Look at that big dot. It was a big, round, wooden building at the foot of the lawn. And it was there in the 1850s and it was torn down in the 1870s. That's the third gymnasium at the University of Virginia. One of the students wrote in 1859, you know, a gymnasium has in it something so mechanical, so businesslike that exercise ceases to be a pleasure and becomes a labor. Where are the sports that would become a great university and the vigorous youth of a great state? Where are our cricket matches? Would not the Ravana support a boat club? So that's when we see, and we did see a, a, a cricket team in the, in the 1850s, but you really start to see this explosion of organized athletics following the Civil War. You see a baseball team, you see the rowing team on the Ravana, and then the first mention, Kevin can correct, correct us if I'm wrong here, um, but the first mention of football, October of 1872, the student says, while strolling in a meditating mood down to the post office, we were attracted by a crowd of coatless youths in the grounds of the university engaged in what seemed to us the insane sport of madly rushing together and trying to kick each other's hats off. <laughs> so that is the birth then in the early, late 1860s, early 1870s of football, which of course at the time was more like soccer or rugby. It would be years before we would see the game that we would recognize today. As a matter of fact, that's one of the stories that we'll share with you today, UVA's national place, leadership in creating American football. Which brings us to Wahoo Wah, online at uvafootballhistory.com. And Kevin Eds, um, who we'll talk with now, uh, who can tell us first, where did the idea come from? Yeah. Well, I mean, where did you, uh, what's going on in your life when you realize, ah, this is a movie I got to make? Well, 
Thank you for the great introduction, Coy. That was fantastic. And your reaction to my email is what I get from most non-hardcore UVA football fans. They look at me and say, what? Why would you do that? Uh, and then I go into this really long story about all the things that I found out. And if they give me five minutes by the end of that conversation, they're sold. And they're like, I want to see it. Um, but initially, they're a little skeptical about that. So um, you know, I first uh, read some of your articles that you wrote for uh, thesaber.com. And I love, I love anything that has a story about being the first in something. And some of the takeaways I took from your articles uh, were the fact that UVA was the first team in the South. There was no college football in the South. Everything was in the Northeast, and UVA was the very first school from the Mason-Dixon line all the way south that uh, started a football team. Uh, so I read a little bit more, started doing a little research, and this is maybe 10 years ago. Uh, I found out they were a powerhouse in the South. They, they did not have a losing season the first 28 years. So from the very beginning until the 29th season, which was literally the season before World War I started, they never had a losing season. And even that season, they went four and five, so it wasn't too bad. <clears throat> so I thought that was pretty interesting. And I heard about Bill Dudley. I knew about the Dudley Award here in the state of Virginia given to the best football player in the state of Virginia. Uh, and then I read about Bill Dudley, and I found out that you know, he won the Maxwell Award, which was given to the best college football player in the, in the nation. Many people think the Heisman you know, is a more prestigious award. Well, in 1941, when Bill won this, the Heisman was only two years old, so it really didn't have as much prestige as it, uh, as it uh, uh, does now. Um, Bill was the first pick in the NFL draft in 1942 by the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers and had a Hall of Fame career, so I thought that was fascinating. Um, then I found out that UVA had one of the worst losing uh, records in the country, actually it was the longest losing streak in college football history in the 50s, uh, 28 straight games, and then Obviously, when I came to school in 1990, they were ranked number one in the country for three fantastic weeks. And so I just saw that as a natural story arc. Yeah. And I thought, this is great. Um, so I started to do a little bit more research. And um, I read a great book called College Football um, History, Spectacle, Controversy, written by John Watterson, who's sitting right here. He was another one of my historians in the documentary. And uh, a fascinating book about the history of college football. And I took my, my highlighter. And I highlighted everything in that book that had to do with UVA. And I know you probably didn't intend for it to be so much about UVA, but I was floored by how much I learned about UVA and how integral they were into the development of the game. So uh, that was sort of how this got started. Yeah, good stuff. Now, we are going to have time for questions at the end. But in the film, um, and, and I really don't know this, how far do you go back? I mean, how far? Where do you, do you start here? I mean, do you start with... With after the Civil War, we we do start uh, start here. Uh, we start with uh, students playing, you know, the soccer kicking game on the lawn. That was where they played, uh, but they they knew about soccer or football in England, but this was different. They were starting to change it a little bit. They were adding little wrinkles to it. They played. 75 men at a time. Um, you know, it, you know, games lasted for hours. It, it was, you know, it's interesting that when you look at say. Um, Major League Baseball or, or the game of baseball, that really developed in sort of the professional leagues. Um, and colleges sort of followed suit. Well, American football actually developed more on college football campuses and the professional leagues of the NFL followed, you know, followed the path of the uh, colleges. So um, we start then with uh, a myth, a rumor of a game in 1881 against Washington and the Lee. I've spent 
days at uh, the small special collections library trying to find proof that this game happened. Uh, we find stories about we're setting the game up and we're looking forward to it. Um, and then I read an article that said that it happened, but you know there was no record of the score. If that game actually happened in 1881, it would make UVA the fourth oldest team in the country. You would have Princeton, Rutgers, and I think it was Yale, but it, it, that would just be, be shocking. I, I have not yet been able to, to nail that down, but still, just the, the thought of that. That they uh, were organizing it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You'd have Washington Lee, too. That would have been their competition, so I guess a tie for, yeah. for, for, for Washington <laughs> and Lee, absolutely. Um, we were fortunate enough uh, to, obviously, I have to interview my historians to talk about those uh, times long ago. Um, we were fortunate enough to interview an alumnus of the university who actually played football here in 1931. His name was John Risher, and we interviewed him two years ago. He just celebrated his 100th birthday uh, this past year. And um, he played, actually, at Lambeth Field. I don't know how many people have gone out to Lambeth uh, Stadium uh, during your time here. He actually played there. You know, he said he wasn't a star. He only got in a couple plays, but he actually played for UVA football there. So we interviewed him there. He has some great stories. I mean, the football was shaped like a watermelon back then. And he and I went out into the field, and he showed me how he did drop kicks and shovel passes. And he's 100 years old, and he's doing this. And I'm asking him to slow down. But he was just, it's amazing. When you see this in the documentary, it, you're just, I've showed people, my editors and other people walking by the edit suite and they're just shaking their head. It is amazing, this guy. So tell me now some of the um, other folks that you, you have on film, because uh, you've mentioned to me some of the, sure. the people that you got. It's, I, I'm hard-pressed to think of somebody he didn't get, but give him an idea of some of the people over the last few years sure. that you've actually had the opportunity sure. to sit down with. Well, I'm really lucky that Charlottesville is such a great town and community that so many of the alum, alumni actually live in the area. Um, because some schools, you know, people would live all over the country and it'd be really hard to travel there. So I was really fortunate to get Bill Dudley um, before he passed away, and uh, we had a fantastic interview over at Farmington. Um, let's see here, uh, Jim Baer uh, was another um, with his teammates. Uh, in the, uh, we have Jim Bakhtiar from the uh, 50s. Um, actually, early, before him, we have a great group of folks, John Pappett. Um, I don't think he gets enough credit for, for his career here. He played from 1947 to 1950, um, and he was an amazing running back uh, that led UVA's team to, to great heights. He actually finished his career, I uh, found this out, as the all-time leading rusher in NCAA history. He ran for more yards than any other player in NCAA history when he graduated in 1950, which I think is just amazing. We got his teammates Tom Scott and Joe Palumbo. In the 60s, we have Frank Quayle. You may have heard Frank you know, doing the radio broadcast here for UVA football games. Um, we got, uh, obviously, George Welsh and Al Groh and Mike London. Um, let's see, we got um, Jim Dombrowski from the 80s. Um, I'm missing so many people. I, mean, I think we interviewed uh, over 40 people. Um, one of the highlights for me was the four of the great players from the 1990 team, uh, Sean Moore, Herman Moore, Chris Slade, and Terry Kirby. Uh, unlike a traditional sit-down interview, we actually, they were fantastic. They, they all flew into D.C., uh, where I live, um, and we had a dinner for four for them, where we set up three cameras around them, and I just threw out topics, and these guys talked about their, their seasons here. At While they're eating dinner. While they're eating, yeah, so great. they're talking to each other, and, and in that kind of environment, you're, 
you're gonna, when you're with friends and you're reminiscing and you're not talking to some guy asking you questions, you're gonna have, you just be so honest and open. And so, I mean, they talked about the thrill of, you know, that ride up to number one in the country and, and the heartbreak of losing that game to Georgia Tech in 1990. And, and they had some interesting comments about whether we should have gone for it on fourth, fourth and goal there at the end uh, <laughs> instead of settling for the tie. And actually, George Welsh, to his credit, he, he has an interesting uh, take on that, too, so I hope people get the documentary to see that, too. And you talked with uh, Howard Goodwin, as well, who just recently passed away. Absolutely. One of Bill Dudley, Dudley's uh, teammates, too. Yeah. yeah. So tell us now some of the uh, surprises. I, I told right, him you, sure. you found something. Yeah, yeah. That's certainly one of the, one of the surprises, sure. and just some things that you, you learned that you sure. maybe weren't expecting to find sure. out. Sure. All right. Well, two things in particular. One, I found out. Um, in 1950, UVA was almost expelled from the NCAA. And there's a lot of talk now about the, the things that are going on at UNC and uh, some other, other schools' uh, dealings with agents and things like that. Well, um, it was even worse back in the late 40s after World War II when all of these guys are coming back from the war and uh, colleges are trying to get these players to come to their schools. They're paying them cash and cars. It was just, it was out of control. So the NCAA passed a, a resolution called the Sanity Code, which basically said you can only pay for tuition and that's it. You can't pay for room and board, you can't pay for books, you can't pay for meals. And UVA, to their credit, said instead of sort of cheating this secretly, we're just going to come out and tell everyone right now we're not going to follow this rule. This is ridiculous. Our guys can't pass their classes, play football, and hold down a job to pay for, for school. Um, so we're going to pay for one meal a day, and we're going to pay for room and board and tuition. But that's it. And oh my gosh, the NCAA went crazy. They, you of know, course they did. Yeah. <laughs> there was this huge, and, and along with six other schools um, who followed suit, um, Maryland, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, I think were in there too. Uh, these were called the Seven Sinners, and there was a vote uh, at the NCAA convention as to whether or not they're going to be expelled. And the, the, uh, it, I tell you what, I'll watch the documentary. It's interesting what happened with the vote. Let's just say that for a split second, UVA was expelled. Wow, expelled from the NCAA. Yeah, exactly. Now, now the how about thing, the, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the holy grail of Virginia athletics? Okay, so um, you guys recognize the, the colors of my tie here. And... Um, I'm sure you guys know the story. Anybody know the story about how UVA got, uh, got their colors, the blue and the orange? If a, a brief, brief version of it. My son, my son <laughs> who, who's been helping me edit it, yes, uh, he knows the story. Well, well very, very briefly, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and, and tell you that um, before 1888, UVA wore scarlet red and, uh, and cardinal gray, which were symbolic of the colors of the Confederacy. And in 1888, they wanted to spice things up and uh, they had a meeting trying to decide what the color should be and there was a student uh, at this meeting, uh, Alan Potts, and he was a star football player there in the 1888 team, you saw the slide before, um, and he came there wearing this boating scarf that he got from Oxford, uh, orange and blue, just like this. He had, was on the rowing team there the summer before, I guess he, he, he was there in the summer, and someone grabbed it and held it up and said, how about these colors? And everyone loved the idea and thought it was great. So I love that story. We were going to tell this story in the documentary. Um, Coy talked about it during our interview. And then I started thinking, what happened to that scarf? Like, 
that's pretty cool. I wonder if his, you know, so uh, the New York Times obituaries and just Google searches, I ended up finding Alan Potts's son and his son's son, uh, daughter and, and, and her son and all the way down until I found his great granddaughter uh, who grew up in Richmond and she said, Oh yeah. Well, th there's a you know, half of that scarf still exists. He cut it in half, and unfortunately, one half burned in a fire at their family home. Um, but the other half was given to a friend, um, the Bryan family, uh, who started the Richmond Times Dispatch, uh, was given to them, and someone from the Bryan family in the '60s donated it to the Virginia Historical Society. So I called them up, and they said, "Wow, you, no one's asked about this thing since basically it was donated in the '60s." <laughs> Uh, and I said, I would love to come down with my camera crew and shoot this and talk to one of your archivists there. And, and we brought Jane Potts, Alan Potts' great-granddaughter there. So you'll see in the documentary, uh, which is something people haven't seen ever, except for the Bryan family, I guess, uh, since the 1880s, whenever it was give, half of it was, was given to them. Uh, and Jane sees it for the first time. We get to see her reaction. And uh, it's a pretty cool story. This is the very first Orange and Blue. At the University of Virginia? No, uh, no, it's not. It's not. They did wear uh, striped hats back then, but uh, uh, those were probably cardinal red and scarlet gray, I think. Yeah. So. That is amazing that, the, that it exists, that it still exists, and that he found it. Um, and it's one of my dreams, that, and Tom Falters uh, shares this dream. We'd love to bring that scarf back to the University of Virginia and have an exhibit and tell the story. Um, Still working on that because <laughs> the historical society wants a little bit of money to make that happen. But um, of Cor course, Cor they do. Give up. <laughs> I'm not going to give up. We we will bring that back to Charlottesville at some point for the first time since 1888. That will happen. We're really excited about that. Um, it, it's just an incredible find. Um, let's show a clip yep. from the film set and so us. set it up for sure. us. Um, it's, this is a huge part of the story of UVA football. Okay and really is when it was um, in the national spotlight. Mm -hmm. uh, this is one of my favorite stories here. Um, and thanks again to John Watterson for his uh, great research on this. He, it was invaluable to me. Um, how many folks here know about, uh, have been to the chapel here on grounds and uh, gone inside, checked it out? It's, you know, some people may have been married there. Um, has anyone noticed the marble memorial that's on the right uh, when you walk in there? Um, well. For those of you that don't, um, there is an inscription on there, uh, and it's a memorial to a UVA student, a UVA football player named Archer Christian. Um, and 101 years ago this fall, something happened that uh, put Virginia football and, and, and Archer's life into a different perspective. Um, and this will be the, um, in the middle of the documentary here, about, about a third of the way through. Um, this is the first time anyone's seen this, really, except for uh, Coy and obviously my son who edited it. And uh, <laughs> so uh, I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, my name is Archer Christian Burke, and I'm named for my uncle, Archer Christian, who was killed playing football. We're standing here on the site of the football field at Georgetown University in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. And it was here, early November 1909, that Georgetown and Virginia met again. 20th anniversary of their first meeting. Now going into the game, UVA is the powerhouse team of the South. The national press is covering this game. Over 600 UVA fans 
get on the trains and travel up to D.C. Not only go to the game, but to lead a huge parade in Washington. Archie Christian was a freshman in that game in 1909. Archie Christian was having the very best game of his career. Apparently, he had a really good first half of that game against Georgetown. Yeah, Christian's uh, sort of patented move in those days was to turn his back and leap. It's kind of a dangerous thing to do, particularly in those days. But I think he would jump in the air, try to get over the defender or something of that sort. And he was, he was known for his patented um, somersaulting leap where he would catapult himself into the air and leap backwards to gain additional yardage. Toward the end of the game, he took off on one of his runs, and he was attacked by a mass of Georgetown players, and he went down in a heap. And when they unpiled the players, Archer Christian was lying motionless on the ground. In fact, it could have been on this very spot that this uh, tragic occurrence happened. Uh, Christian was down. People from both Georgetown and UVA were huddling over him. The trainer came out. Christian became conscious briefly. Christian at one point said, Doc, I'm really hurting, Doc, as he leaned over the, the, uh, the stricken player. He said, did you see they stepped on my face? Then he lost consciousness. Archer Christian's mother, for some reason, had come to, to Washington, but sensing some premonition, having a premonition that that something might go wrong. She had not come to the game itself, but it stayed downtown at a Washington hotel, praying that everything would go well for her son, Archer. She thought something was gonna happen, and she told everybody she was in the hotel, which that is just a dramatic story. So then they took him to the hospital, and they um, couldn't do a thing about him. It was too late. I mean, it was just horrible, but I, I sort of related to, um, all these young men who go off and give their lives to their country. He gave his life for his college. That death really created a national sensation. It was the front page story on the New York Times, for instance, that next morning. The death of Archer Christian set the scene for a revolution in college athletics because the cry came up around the country that college football is too dangerous. President Alderman was determined to, to do something, to, to save a sport that he truly loved. Five days after Christian's death, John Mosby, a former Confederate general and UVA student, wrote a scathing letter to President Alderman on what he called the murder of Archer Christian. The very fact that a university surgeon went with the team shows that they knew they were going to war. John S. Mosby. The country was outraged. Politicians had legislation to ban football, to make it a crime in America to play the game of football. So in reaction, President Alderman gets on a train with William Lambda, and they head up to New York to meet with all the other presidents of all the other major schools. And all these guys get in a room, and they realize they've got a problem. And in that room, at that moment, President Alderman stands up. And he makes an impassioned speech to save football in America. And his point is this. If we're going to do this, we've got to change the rules. We've got to make this a safer sport. 
and we have to think differently about how we're doing it and we've got to play this game differently and truly make it American football. There you go, a little sneak peek. Yeah. So what was the, um, tell us what, what, what's next? Sure, I mean, what's the, sure. What's the reaction to um, this? So, without giving it all away, because I want people to see the documentary, uh, an amazing thing happens um, with uh, William Lambeth, who is the father of athletics here at the University of Virginia. Um, you know, he actually went to school here in the 1890s and uh, was a university leader in athletics and, and, uh, and medicine here until I think the, uh, the late 30s, early 40s. Um, it's a fantastic story about changing football in a way that was unheard of at the time. President Alderman, um, he literally saved the game of football. They were going to abolish it. Um, UVA, Georgetown had already canceled their, the rest of their games. UVA was going to play UNC the next week, no more. Um, what was interesting is that this is the 100th anniversary today on this field out here of the new style of American football that's being played. Um, and I don't think a lot of people know about that. It, it, the game changed so much um, after this event that uh, there was a, a letter or um, an excerpt from, this, from the student newspaper here uh, that said, you know, the game as it will be played this, uh, this season will be unlike, it will, it will be unrecognizable uh, by anyone who has seen college football before. It could have been a little grandiose statement there, but uh, I think that there, in some respects, yes, it was a much different game. So today is the centennial, in a sense, of American football, the, the football that we know. And it was born on Lambeth Field at the University of Virginia. Yeah, the, uh, one of the ways that they changed football, they, they tried these things out at Lambeth Field in, the, in March and in, in, in the spring. Um, in ways that had never been executed before. It, it was in theory, you know, this gentleman on the rules committee, and uh, Walter Camp, the father of athletics, asked uh, William Lambeth, why don't you try this out? Because Lambeth took a real lead in this, uh, this rules committee, more so maybe than, than some other folks. And, and he, Lambeth created a really interesting rule. You see the documentary, some people may already know it. Um, and they practiced these things out on Lambeth Field. And he wrote back to Walter Camp and said, Seems like it's a little safer. It seems like the game actually is a little more fun too. So it works. Uh, yeah, it was neat. So um, Lambeth Field was the laboratory. It was the laboratory where they experimented with these new rules yep. and really uh, changed it from sort of the rugby hybrid that it had been to the game that we recognize today. Yeah. So don't build any more dorms. Right, we got to keep the colonnades there. I love that, I love that place. I love that place. Yeah. Um, but the other segment that we have. Yeah, we got another is, clip. Yeah, um, and, and an interesting little time. This is a segment that I showed at uh, the uh, Dudley. Oh, wait, it was the Bill Dudley Scholarship Foundation um, last October. Um, it, this won't show up exactly like this in the documentary, but I did think it was something that would be neat to show. Um, where we interviewed Bill Dudley here at Farmington a couple years ago, and this is really him talking about how he found out about UVA and how he came to UVA. And uh, there's an interesting tie-in, I'll tell you, after you watch this segment. I was in high school, and I was very young. And, uh, of course, I played football ever since I knew what any kind of ball was. Don't know why. I don't know, but I just became attracted to it. When we got to high school, I was out 
two years and they wouldn't give me a uniform because I was too small. Well, it's going to be him too young. I never will forget one day a boy got loose in practice. And I started after him. The coach at all booth was a no, 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 no. Bill, you'll get hurt. And of course, it teed me off. <laughs> but uh, I, was, I was young and small and stayed in high school the next year. And I still graduated at 16, which was still too young to go to college. Nevertheless, that's the way it was. And to be honest with you, the only thing I knew about the University of Virginia at that time, in 1938, was the fact that they used to have debating teams come here in the spring <laughs> and participate. I didn't know anything about their football. And uh, I didn't know whether I was going to be able to go to college. And that's because I needed a scholarship. There was rumors that, that Tennessee was going to give me a scholarship, that Tech was going to give me a scholarship, Washington Lee was going to give me a scholarship because I had an older brother there. But I was working on a pop truck in May, I think, of 38. My high school coach came by to get me off the truck. He said, we got to go to Tesla. I said, why? He said, well, he said, the coach from the University of Virginia is up right. He's talking to talk. Yeah, I talked with Coach Murray, and then in I think it was as late as July. Everybody already knew what they were going to do. Coach Tabell came through and I met him. He said, Bill, we're going to give you what amount of a $500 scholarship. It'll take care of your room, board, tuition, and books. And it's not based on you playing football, but it's based on you must maintain credit toward your degree. You must maintain your work in order to keep your scholarship. He was such a great guy. Yeah. yeah. What's What's really interesting about that? I mean, you know, today, high school players commit to a team sometimes. You know, a year before, sometimes even longer. So it was July, of you know, in the summer, he's on a pop truck. And he didn't know where he was going to go to college. Um, so the fact that it was that last minute, you know, that he, he needed a scholarship. And the really interesting thing that I found out, and this was after the interview here, he said something in our interview, and I didn't really get it at the time. And while watching the footage afterwards, he says, yeah, you know, at, at spring practice one day, the coach said, go over there to, um, to Andy. He's a uh, gentleman in his uh, 50s uh, from Richmond. Um, go thank him. Andy is the one that uh, got you your scholarship. Uh, so Bill went over and, and thanked him, and, and uh, Andy, his name is actually Andrew Christian, and he was the younger brother of Archer Christian, and Andy played on that same team with Archer Christian. Oh, they were only about 10 months apart in age, so they were both freshmen on that team. So, uh, you know, a Andrew Christian still loved the sport of football so much, even after his brother had died playing it. But he still came back to the university all the time and, you know, helped give scholarship money to Bill Dudley, who really put UVA football on the map. What a story. Wow. So now the nuts and the bolts. Yeah. When does it come out? Sure. When can we buy a copy? Yeah. So How do we get uh, more information? Yeah, we're racing against the clock to try to get this ready for the Virginia Film Festival, which is this November 4th through the 7th here uh, in downtown Mall. And... Obviously, they have to accept it first, uh, but after speaking with them, I, they said if, 
if we can finish it, it's a good chance they'll, they'll air it. So you know, folks can see it there, but then it'll be uh, for sale on DVD literally the next day after uh, it premieres at the film festival. So uh, if you'd like, um, afterwards, if you want to sign your email address up here, I can uh, send you guys notes uh, on when it's coming out and where you can buy it. And also, um, anyone that does sign up, uh, you'll get to see a couple more sneak peeks that we're going to start releasing in the next couple weeks before anyone else gets to see it. So. Um, do that or just visit my website, uvafootballhistory.com. You can sign up there, too. It's the same, same thing. Um, so, yeah, coming up soon. Again, the website is uvafootballhistory.com. And uh, now we have some time for any questions for Kevin about uh, UVA football history. We've got the microphone here. Just get, we're recording it, so just get real close to the microphone. And it, it's uh, right over here. Kevin, yeah. uh, his first year here was the first time Virginia ever beat Clemson. And uh, I told him I think it was his destiny to uh, make this documentary, which uh, anybody that wins, how, how many did we lose in a row to Clemson? 28. We lost 28 straight games to Clemson. Yeah. Long overdue, and the right guy <clears throat> got the ball. Yeah, uh, that was my first home game of my first year, so I was spoiled uh, by – UVA football at that time, definitely, and so it made it. And, and when they became number one in the country, I didn't know about the the, the 28 game losing streak from 1958 to 61. So, any other we have a question back there? Uh, yeah, Althea will help us out with the microphone. Are you going to have anything about our victory over University of Pennsylvania in 1949? Yes, sir. We're going to talk about that. Good. Yeah, <laughs> that was a huge game. A huge game. Uh, I found. Mm. Coaches films uh, here over at the, um, the McHugh Center and uh, going all the way back to 1927. So you guys are going to be able to see games at Lambeth Field from 1927, uh, which is great. And we found footage of some of those games against Penn. And I also went to the National Archives. Fortunately, I live in D.C., so I can go to the Library of Congress. I can go to the National Archives. And at the National Archives, I found some uh, folks remember the Universal Newsreels that would play before movies back in the late 40s. Um, that's how people found out about you know their news, and I found the highlights of the UVA Penn game in uh, in '47, which was actually a loss. They were both top ten, um, and another game I think against Tulane, uh, which is really cool to to, to see that in a, in a newsreel. Yeah. Now, for folks who don't know the significance of the '49 game against Penn, it was, it was a big game, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the geez, let me sort of try to put that in perspective. Uh, UVA had never been ranked in the top 10 before. Uh, they went 6-0 and to start the 1947 season and went up to Penn to play them. John Pappett, who I mentioned before, who finished his career as the all-time leading rusher in NCAA history, was a freshman. Uh, and they lose this game to Penn. And UVA's coach, Art Gepp, who gets a lot of attention in the documentary, he's another fantastic coach that not a lot of people know about. Uh, he told the press, he said, we're coming back in two years and we're going to win. And uh, they, they came back, and he had this fantastic strategy. When you see it, using John Pappett as a decoy, and uh, it was a huge upset win. That's not the game where Seal urinated on the That is the game, it? yeah. It is? It yeah. is the same game? <laughs> the UVA mascot Seal, the dog that went with him on trips, uh, decided to make his mark on a pen cheerleader's <laughs> megaphone. <laughs> and he goes down in history. <laughs> Collegiate history. Got a, another question over here. Yes, sure. sir. Uh, back in the old days, did uh, uh, UVA any play any uh, local high schools? They did. They did. Their, uh, their their first game ever was again against Pantops Academy. 
uh, as Coy puts it so eloquently in the documentary, up on Pantops Mountain. And it's interesting, the UVA Athletic Department recognizes the 1888 season as the very first season um, because that's where they played another uh, collegiate team. But I actually found out they started their, their uh, the program started the year before in 1887 and played two games. Uh, so for me, my documentary, the, the program starts in 1887 and they played Pantops twice. The first time to a scoreless tie. Yeah. <laughs> and the second, uh, I think it was 24. So, but they're putting a team on the field in, in 1887. Yes, yes. And we, and we talk about two of the gentlemen in the picture that you saw there that were graduate students here. Uh, one came from Yale and the other from Princeton, which were the real big teams of, of that era in the 1880s. And they had seen what had happened at their schools uh, at Princeton and Yale, at Princeton and Yale, and came down to UVA and said, "What's going on? Why is there not a football team here?" You know, there was a little intramural, you know, games going on, and they said, "Let's organize this." Uh, and they brought their knowledge down. So in 1887, they they started a, an official team. Yeah, we have another question back here. Yes, sir. Yes, Jim. Uh, one memorable game for me was the uh, year we beat Army. I think it was 1964 here at Scott Stadium. 35 to 14, which was a big upset. And then a question uh, to slightly turn the conversational corner to academics. Um, one of my professors here, Bobby Gooch, I believe played football pretty well at Virginia. And I think he was also a Rhodes Scholar. So my question is, how many football players from Virginia have become Rhodes Scholars? That's a great question. I don't know that. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I don't know the answer. Bobby Gooch. Um, like you said, was a great player in uh, 1913 to 1915. And he was the author of a report called the Gooch Report, uh, which in the in 1950 said that we should de-emphasize athletics here and possibly even disband the football team. And that caused a huge stir here. And people were really surprised, especially because here's Bobby Gooch, this guy that was a star player in the teens. And why is he doing this? Well, we had, I ended up finding out from uh, Ann Southwell, who was at the Small Special Collections Library, it's been such a great help to me, that uh, a professor named Atchison Hinch, which is such an interesting sounding name, was actually the leader of this, this group, but uh, for political reasons said, hey, Bobby, why don't we call this the Gooch Report instead of the Hinch Report? So it was politics. It was politics. Yeah. So I, I don't know whether Bobby Gooch, he might get a bad name for you know, Bobby Gooch, but another tie-in, Bobby's uh, brother played on that 1909 football team, uh, and he handed the ball off to Archer Christian uh, before that fateful play. So everything is intertwined. And it's what about such a the, great story. Uh, the Army game? And the Army game in 1964, we have footage of that, and uh, Bob Davis who was the, uh, st uh, is that correct? Bob Davis was the star quarterback then. Uh, unbelievable footage. I mean, this guy was uh, Roger Stallback before Roger Stallback. I mean, uh, maybe they were around the same time, but uh, we uh, unbelievable footage of that game. And, and we have, um, actually Al Groh was on that team. And we have Al talking about his playing days at the university. He talks about that game too. Um, All right. Okay, so uh, we have a gift for uh, whoever can, Answer this question. Um, I don't know, did you have the question? And there's oh, the question. Okay, yeah. All right. Uh, what former UVA student led a college team to an unofficial national championship? Uh, all right. Sh <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, there's a historian right there. I will, I will let you know that, uh, that lead is an interesting word. You can lead a team in many different ways. You can either play or you can do it in other ways. And if somebody knows, we'll just you know, raise your hand raise your and hand. We'll, we'll call on you right away. Does anybody know it? We can start giving clues. Does anybody have it? All right, we'll go with the first clue. He accomplished this as an undergraduate at another school before teams had professional coaches. So he was the coach at another college as an undergraduate coaching the football team to a national He was a coach slash manager. Anybody? All right, this is a great gift. <laughs> you have heard his name. All right, he's very well known. Do we got one right here? No, sir. Good guess, though. Closer, closer. He attended yeah, UVA right back School here. of Law. That's it. You got it. An interesting story about uh, Woodrow Wilson, if I could just quickly tell, is that uh, before he came to UVA as a law school student, as an undergraduate at Princeton, he loved football. It was his passion. He didn't play it, um, but he coached. He managed. He. Uh, John told me this. He wrote for the student newspaper, you know, publicity. He sold tickets. He walked the sideline. If the crowd wasn't cheering loud enough, he took his umbrella and swung it around and he tried to get, <laughs> get it going. So he came here to UVA as a law school student in 1879, I believe. And I read this account that said he also led the Princeton team to a national championship in 1879. I thought, how can that be? He was here at UVA. I looked at the records, and Princeton only had five games. They were all in Princeton. They were in New Jersey. So I, I called up the Wilson Library in Stanton and started talking to their researchers, and I said, is there anything in his writings about, did he travel on the weekends? Did he go up to Princeton while he was a student at UVA? And they said, well, we don't see anything that specifically says he went to Princeton, um, but he was not he, he always traveled on the weekends, we think, to visit a girl that he was courting. I think that girl was Prince and Tigers. I think, he, <laughs> I think he coached him to a national championship while he was a student at UVA because he had just done so a few years prior, and, and he loved the Tigers football team so much. So, a great story. Yeah. Thank you all Thank so you much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, good stuff.